wish our microphones were like rose gold. I'll work on that. That's Diamond what, encrusted. That's what they look like on the lady gang. Yeah. They also right. have like stylus. <laughs> Do you want to know what my style is? Look at the manure under my armpit. <laughs> so Carly, what did you get into last past weekend? It was a big time here in Lexington. Uh, it was. Well, we had the Split Rock show, which Equithrive was a proud supporter of. Um, Dude, you guys had the prettiest jump. But it they, was pretty. Well, they it took leaves. it down for the jump off, and my entire goal was to go and get a picture in front of it, and then they took it down for the jump off. There'll be other opportunities. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, because you're gonna put it in my arena. But let's I talk about the real. This. Talk about the real story um, from that experience. <sighs> the real. So I'm sure that many of our listeners now know that Kaylee Cuoco, who played Penny on The Big Bang Theory, two, there's a couple of things that people should know about her. One, she's a famous actress. Two, she's also like a meter 40 jumper and is married to Carl Cook, who is one of the highest jump, you know, level jumpers in our country. Three, she is probably number two on my fiance's list of get out of free jail card. (laughs) So I, in a very non-creepy way. You didn't tell her that, did you? No. Kaylee, if you're listening, in a very non-stalkerish way, I am slightly stalking you. Mostly because it would make Luke's life if she came to meet us. So, we go to Split Rock. I, I would say, if, I mean, considering the yeah. circumstances. I see that Carl Cook is riding, and I was like, okay, she's on Instagram saying she's here. I'm going to finally meet her. My girlfriend Leah and I are sitting on the couches looking fancy, and we're watching the people walk the jump course, and I look over, and I was like, ugh. Who is the girl walking around in yoga pants and paddock boots? And then didn't say, I was just being a bitch. Like, I just, whatever. She walks by again, and my friend Leah was like, that's Kaylee Cuoco. And I I was like, Can I interrupt and ask a serious question as a guy? Is there that much of a difference in yoga pants and riding breeches? Um, so here's the hypocrite in me talking. I just think that riding breeches with paddock boots is a terrible stylish move. <laughs> As I'm wearing them right now, I think that it looks like you're 12 and that you should be wearing jodfers. I am currently wearing it right now, so I this is probably the worst story for me to tell in this moment. I'm only wearing these paddock boots because I was palping mares and I got manure all over myself. But is that what you told Kaylee? When you- no, oh. because this is the worst part of the story: is that my friend Leah wouldn't let me talk to her. Like, I was probably five gin and tonics in, and I was like, now is my moment. I am going to go be Kaylee Cuoco's best friend. And my friend Leah literally was, like, physically restraining me away from her. And, like, I am so not scared of people. Like, I was so ready to be like, Kaylee, hi, thanks for supporting Split Rock. Equithrive, my sponsor, also supports Split Rock. Podcast, things, come talk to us, be my best friend. Your miniature pony is really cute. Leah wouldn't let me tell her any of those things. We need so, her on the podcast. We really need she her listens, on the podcast. She listens, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Kaylee, She's Cole, like, Kaylee you're, listening. you're listening right now. I am not stalking you. I am also idolizing you in my current style. <laughs> so is that why you took boots. her? Is that why you took Leah? Because she was going to be like your restraint? N- no, I did not take Leah because of that. I took Leah because of that because she was my only friend that would come with me that day because everybody else was busy riding and stuff. But then... Just to finalize the story, I told my fiance about this. And yesterday, my fiance, who is never on social media, never on his cell phone, was like, 
send me Leah's phone number. I have to speak to her. And I was like, what happened? And um, I sent him her phone number. And then I also warned her that she was about to be yelled at for something. And I was, I called Luke and I was like, babe, what's up? Like, why are you mad at Leah? And he was like, I just have to speak to her about the fact that she did not let you go and meet Kaylee Cuoco. And I was like, okay. So even for the first time in our relationship, Luke is encouraging my lack of fear towards all humans. But besides that, Split Rock was amazing. It's their last time they're having it there. It's really, it's, it's just, yeah. It's like a Romeo and Juliet, me and Kaylee Cuoco. She's going to be on. She'll be on. Yeah. She'll be on. She'll Probably over the phone have now no that I've scared her. Right. But How could she not after that story? I know. Kaylee, yeah. well, I'll start wearing She has time on her hands, I think, now, right? <laughs> yeah, she should have time. It's no secret the animal nutrition market is saturated with substandard products and unfounded claims. As horse owners, trying to choose the right supplement for the right horse can be maddening and ultimately a waste of time and money. Well, Equithrive has simplified this whole supplement song and dance for you with a lineup of products that are developed with care and backed by science. Products you can trust for safe... (laughs) Okay, guys. So I am having career day today. And I'm really excited because I am going to be interviewing three of my best friends who all have very different jobs and got there in very different ways. Um, But more so, we're kind of doing this because we can all look back and hindsight, you know, is 2020. We realize what we want to do the same, what we want to do differently, if we like our career, if we hate our career, if we're pivoting. I don't know where I am right now, but anyhow. So my first guest right now is Alyssa Pluwicki, Pluwacki. I'm never going to pronounce her name correctly now that she corrected me. But she is a professional groom, primarily in the eventing discipline, and has groomed for five-star riders such as Jenny Brannigan as well as Allie Knowles. I actually met her before she started being a professional groom. And funny story of how we met. I literally met this girl because she showed up at a horse show of mine with Nixon and was just like, you're Carly and Nixon. We should be friends. And then she videotaped my stadium round, even though we didn't know each other. And I still to this day have that video. And do you remember this video? It was my first recognized event on Nixon and he took off with me. And at the very end, all you hear is Alyssa go, and this is what we call surviving. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I also remember the encounter we had together where we were both taking a lesson. And that was my first lesson when I moved to Kentucky. And I showed up and you were like, just so you know, it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the story that I have to tell before we get into this groom thing, because this just kind of, well, it goes to eventing, so it's the same. This is completely off topic from career day. But I, actually both of us, both Alyssa and I competed at May Days this past weekend at training level. She has been in Florida all winter, so we were excited to show together again. I got done with my dressage test. She had hacked her horse down to watch me go. I took my horse back to the trailer, and I start walking at the Kentucky Horse Park from my trailer to the dressage complex to cheer her on. And I just had this complete toddler-esque temper tantrum of like, this sucks. Why am I walking? I'm in tall boots. My feet hurt. It's hot out. It's 97 degrees out. And in true Carly temper tantrum, I text messaged my fiance and I said, I want a moped. And 
for those of you listeners that know Luke Sullivan, you know that I text him something like this at least once a week. It's usually as I want a puppy or I want a new horse. And he simply says no and then stops the conversation. For some reason, I wrote, I want a moped. And Luke Sullivan wrote back, okay, and started looking for mopeds. So thank you, Alyssa. I am getting my new Honda Metropolitan moped tomorrow. My only request is that I get to ride on it as well. Oh, 100%. (laughs) There's like a little spot between where your legs go for a cooler. Oh, amazing. Like it goes up to 40 miles an hour. It's navy blue. It's my cross country colors. I am so excited for this moped. Like there is just going to be Snapchats of me cruising around farm on my moped because I honestly don't horse show that often so I really don't need a moped but I am getting one and I'm I'm just considering it a wedding present there you go from my perfect. fiance perfect I will also send you the first video of Luke on the moped amazing and or me like ponying Frank on the moped there's gonna be there's it's just gonna be amazingness for those of you guys wondering my Instagram is a Yankee in Paris there will be videos of me mopeding we can't wait over. okay so Career day. You were, slash still are, a professional groom. This is something, a career that we don't really talk about. They're the behind the scenes warriors, you know, and there's always that like delineation between working student and groom and they're totally, totally different jobs. So just to begin, what kind of got you into that career? Um, I mean, kind of growing up, I, that was how I afforded to be able to horse show. Like I, learned how to braid horses. I helped other people out as I got older and kind of aged out of like the junior years. Um, And then I started working for the USCF and I realized after like three years that I wanted to get back into horses full time. So I kind of just jumped into it a little blind and it was one of the best things I got to do. I got to go so many cool places and meet a bunch of different people. So that was really awesome. And college, yes or no? Did you go? Where'd you go? What'd you do? Yeah, I went to Otterbein University, which is in Ohio. And um, luckily I got a great, well-rounded education from there. I went, I was an equine business major and I had a biology minor. So I kind of did a little bit of the both. Totally use it. Oh, no, you're kind of using the biology no, no, minor I'm now. still using it's it, but I mean, delayed. I can always, like, I have the business if I want to go back to do that, which was kind of my goal anyway, so. And so what, like, we you, you kind of fell into it. You started with Jenny, mm-hmm. who is one of the most well-known riders in America right now. Definitely was at the top of her game when you started with her. Can you tell us a little bit about like what a day in the life of her professional groom was? Yeah. So um, basically I worked alongside for her program. She had an assistant rider and then she had three working students at the time that I worked there. So we all showed up to the barn 7 a.m. She had anywhere from like 18 to 25 horses at a time, um, mostly sales horses, a couple of our own competition horses. And then we each had a horse there, all of us that worked there. Um, So we were all responsible for their day-to-day care so 7 a.m feeding horses cleaning stalls and then they'd start riding by like 8 30 or 9 um she rode probably gosh anywhere from like 8 to 10 a day and the other girls kind of split the rest and so for me after we got done with the barn work it was kind of just getting horses ready for her I took care of the top competition horses which lived in like the other half of the barn so that was kind of like my barn and um, basically just like putting hands on them every day because if anything was then kind of like missed about them if this one had like a swollen leg one day or if this one maybe just didn't go as well today then that was kind of my responsibility to kind of make sure they were feeling their best and then that's obviously the day-to-day thing but a professional groom truly shines on competition day Mm -hmm. so how did your day then shift if it was a competition day um luckily for us living in pennsylvania 
a lot of the competitions were within driving distance. So we actually really didn't do a whole lot of staying over places. So those were always busy days because then we'd be trying to do everything at home and everything at the horse show. So it was a little wild. But my main responsibility, um, I braided horses. I prepped them for the show. I drove the trailer. Basically, any time they had to be anywhere, it was my responsibility to get them anywhere. And she showed up and they needed to be all ready and prepared to go because then she had to ride and then maybe go coach somebody or then go back home and gallop a few more. Yeah. And so what were your favorite things about the position and what were your least favorite things about the position? My favorite was probably just being like so, like all these horses that I've been like, oh my gosh, like this is Campalda, like it's so cool. And they'd be like, all right, well at the same time, like he's just a horse, but he's really cool. Um, So I got to just get to know their personalities a little bit better. And we got to go many cool places. Like we went to New York City for a horse show, which was probably the most fun I've ever done. We were like there like it was like a little bit of, like baptism by fire because they like put us in the trailer with these horses at like 4 a.m <laughs> through manhattan yeah like out of new jersey and they drove us down there and it was like so we got there at like 3 a.m and they're like all right well i guess you guys could ride when it gets light outside so none of the riders were there so we all got to ride them in central park which was sweet that's so cool and then um then it was like the middle of the day and the actual class didn't start until like eight so we were like all right i mean i don't know what to do so can we just go like explore new york city and they're like yeah have at it so we got to just do that for the rest of the day and then horse show and then pack up and leave at midnight. Was that for one of like the eventing prees? Yeah. It was yeah. like a, like a showcase they did. Oh yeah. I remember when they did that. Yeah. And then, so what were the kind of low points? Like, you know, we all say like, this job's amazing. If you like not having a social life, I feel like this is one of those. Yeah. I mean, it kind of made it hard to have a life outside of that, but luckily all the people that I worked with, like we all made really good friends. So we got along well. Yeah. And it was never super weird. Probably the low part for me was just the learning curve. Like I remember going to Fair Hill my first year with her and I only worked for her for like two months. And luckily we only had one horse, so it like wasn't that bad. And it was probably the easiest horse in the barn we could have had. But I just remember like that was my first like long format competition. And I was like, I don't necessarily know a whole lot about how to do a jog, how to prep a horse for a jog. And I just remember her getting so upset with me over something silly. And I was like, I don't know if I'm good enough to do this. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I just don't want to let her down. And I'm too afraid to. And I, then- I think I always think the same way about your, your job in that position is that I consider myself pretty darn like good at horse showing. You know what I mean? Like I braid my own horses clean my own stalls, drive my own trailer, but I have never done a long format Mm -hmm. event. So I even went and worked the vet box for a friend last year at the training three day. And it's just, it's a different world. Yeah. Like it's just an eye opening different world because those of us that are younger that didn't grow up doing the long format eventing, we don't have vet boxes until you get to the FEI levels. You don't have jogs until you get to the FEI levels. So it literally is just a sink or swim environment when you're figuring those things out. Yeah, literally, my first horse show with her, we I'd worked for her for maybe two weeks, and we went to um, the AECs when they were in Tryon, and it was just a total like baptism by fire because I was by myself with like six horses that I barely knew, and I remember having this chart written out of every single piece of tack they went in, so I didn't mess it up. <laughs> and then she managed to like break her hand by like day two. <laughs> So then I was like, oh, God, I'm not prepared for this. Like, I do not have anything in my book bag for this situation. <laughs> I have everything for the horses. I do not have the skills yeah, for Yeah, and I was arm. like, and I, like, barely knew her. So it was just kind of like, I was like, oh, man, like, are you okay? I hope so. But, like, if you don't want to show tomorrow, I totally understand. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And what, you know, just some other, like, pros and cons. Like, if you could do it again, would you do it again? Are there things you would change? That kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. I'd do it again. I mean, I love being that heavily involved in the upper levels of the sport. And I don't personally have any desire or goal to compete there myself. 
So that's kind of <laughs> definitely how I got into it. Um, but it's fun to be around the people and just like you for, like form an attachment to the horses and you want to see them do well and you send them off on cross country, like a four star, five star course. And like the anxiety is so just as high for you as it is for the rider. Like you are so excited to see them come back and sound and capable to do the next day. And if they're not like, it just, it's heartbreaking for you. Yeah. So you get super attached there and it just kind of becomes like a little bit of your personal goal to see them do well and feel like you were a small part of that success. I think we talked about that a little bit with Lillian Hurd when we were interviewing her of the fact that uh, with the invention of social media, Mm -hmm. we all get these like little cult like followings of some of these riders. And so it's kind of cool to have a connection like you and be like an integral part of Jenny's barn or like Courtney Carson to watch like Doug Mm -hmm. Payne's behind the scenes. And so it's just, it's such a cool environment to see them post things. And then, like you said, we then stalk them a little bit at the big shows. You know what I mean? Like we're on eventing scores or start box and just scrolling through the scores, making sure that they did get home safe or that they did have the the PR that they wanted. And then when you're just that much more connected as the groom, you're actually the one standing right there with like the behind the scenes feel of it. It literally is like having like a sorority sister or something and just their yeah. family. And being involved in it like normalizes it a bit. Like you go to like Kentucky and like they have like all the writers doing interviews and it's kind of like a celebrity status. Yeah. Then you get involved in the industry and you're like, all right, these people are great. But like Boyd Martin knows my name only because I drive horses to his farm every single day. <laughs> so like, it's like, oh cool. Like I'm talking to Boyd Martin, but at the same time it's like, I mean like I kind of see them all every day. So it kind of, normalizes it a bit but I always I always find that so funny um especially eventing even less so than horse racing Mm. you know we watched the Kentucky Derby and I think that my mom could pick out Bob Baffert but nobody else whereas like if Todd Pletcher came into a restaurant that I was eating at and sat down next to me I would be like oh my god is that like, I even did that. I went to the Breeders' Cup uh, a couple of years ago, I think 2015, and I was in the trophy lounge. Like, there was Elizabeth Banks was in there, Taylor Lautner was in there, and who do I end up going and introducing myself to? Clark Montgomery. Just because I was like, wait a second, you're Clark Montgomery. You were on the eventing team at the Olympics, but nobody else in the room recognized him. You know what I mean? So we end up putting these people on pedestals. Absolutely. That are really not that famous the minute you step outside of our little world. Mm -hmm. But if I saw Boyd Martin, I would be like, it's Boyd Martin. (laughs) So I totally understand that point of view. Okay, so to go into like the career fair side of things, how did you get the job? Because like you literally did just kind of jump in. So what would you recommend to somebody who wants to do this as a career? I mean, they're kind of like, I literally, she posted something on Facebook and I applied like applied to it basically like I she called me on the phone and luckily I had the people behind me like Allie Knowles had been my coach for a while and she knew Jenny really well and um I had like a the horse background but in reality I didn't have any like eventing grooming background like I that was like I evented at novice level myself but so I knew how the whole like cycle worked but I had never been to never been to Fairhill I'd never been to Rebecca Farm I'd never been to Plantation like any of those big horse shows I'd watched a bunch of them um, and I just kind of applied for it and I showed up for like a week trial and I remember I flew in at like midnight and like left the next day, like at like, I don't know, like 2am. And so I was there and she was like, I mean, you're really the only person that like came out to try it. She's like, everybody else like applied for it, but never put the like foot forward to do it. 
So, like, that's kind of interesting. Like, if you really want to do it, if you just kind of like, hey, like, I'm yeah. willing to show up and work hard, then anybody's willing to teach you. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a common theme in all of these interviews that I do. And I really hope that we take this career fair idea further because there are hundreds of jobs we could talk about in the mm-hmm. horse industry. But I think that the common consensus about, amongst all of them is that if you're willing to start at the bottom, probably not make a million dollars, but show up at 7, not 704, at 7, if not 654, and work, most of the people in the industry will give you that chance. Mm-hmm. And then it's up to you to sink or swim. You know what I mean? It's up to you to then learn the skills you didn't come in with and or improve upon the skills that you might have bullshitted your way through to get the job. Because, like, that's my – I always joke about braiding. I think my horse's braids look great. Now, if you told me to go braid one of the horses at Land Rover, I would probably puke. So, like, you know what I mean? It's one of those things where, like, if you have it on your CV, that's awesome. But, like, you better make sure it's up to their standards. But these people will give you a chance. Oh, absolutely. And, like, everybody has their own way of doing things. You need to be able – willing to adapt to yes. that. And especially working for two separate people, that was kind of the hardest thing for me to learn was, like, I knew how to do things my way. Jenny did things her way. Allie did things her way. And as long as you're willing to kind of learn what each person prefers and likes, it's really easy. But at the same time, like these horses are their entire business. So if you're not taking proper care of them, like they don't have any time for you. So if you're willing to kind of put in the effort, even if you don't know anything, but willing to learn from it, then they'll put the time into you. And I think the other general consensus that you just hinted on is that you had such a good connection with your trainer being Allie Knowles and she was friends with Jenny. So it kind of got you in that door. I think young kids need to realize that you are making impressions upon people everywhere you go. Like, even if it's just in the warm-up, in a, in a stadium warm-up at a show, you better be nice to that volunteer. You better be nice to the coaches standing around you. You better be nice to the woman working the end gate. Because those people could get you this type of position. Oh, absolutely. A student position, a group position, whatever. So, like, have, the, have your best face forward because – it could make or break you getting a position like this. Absolutely. And you don't even have to necessarily come from like riding with like a big name trainer or somebody who's like competed at the upper levels. Like if you want to put in the work, if you've only competed at beginner novice, but you're like, you know, I want to be better. I want to learn how to run an upper level barn. And you reach out to somebody like Buck Davidson or Lillian Hurd or anybody that are like that. And you're like, hey, I want to come be a working student for a year. If you're willing to commit to that, they're like, absolutely. Come on. I'll teach you anything I can. Yeah, 100%. And I I just think that that's one of the biggest takeaways that we need in this entire career thing is, like, so many of these options are there for you. Like, you can go and be – like, you can go and be the right-hand woman of Jenny Brannigan, which is awesome. I Like, I still haven't even met her, even though you worked for her for a year and a half. You know what I mean? Like, I still see her and go, it's Jenny Brannigan. But you can text message her and be like, hey, girl, what's up? Because you just took a chance on – Something that was posted on social media. Yeah, like literally. Like, weird job posting and way to do it. So, I just think that kids need to realize, like, it is a job. You can actually make a living doing it. It just takes a ton of work. Mm-hmm. And the, and yeah. you have to love it for the right reasons. Like, yeah. you have to love the horses. and um, But it kind of puts a little bit of passion into you to want to, like, see it do well and see, like, the team. Like, be a small part of the team. Be like... All right, watch that horse run around Kentucky clean and be like, all right, I was a small part of that. Like, yeah, you're not I iced its legs the for the last 16 months. And yeah, that's so cool. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking time. to us. We'll definitely have to have you back because Lord knows this girl has enough stories to fill the listeners in on my life. But, oh, boy. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much. And I, uh, I just think that everybody needs to 
you know, go and try something like this. I'm excited go for the moped. Student. <laughs> Y'all, it's going to match my truck. Like, do you know how important that is? I'm going to have a The beer. best thing to come out of that weekend. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. Alyssa and I did not ride that whale, but I got a moped. That's all that matters. Bye. Oh my gosh. Okay. Thank you so much for coming. Hey, anytime. I really appreciate it. So up next on our career fair episode, we have Courtney Kalman, who is the territory rep for, I don't even, half of America, for Vetiquinol, for just equine or for all animals? Um, so I do large animal. Okay, so all large animal mm-hmm. for Vetiquinol, which is a massive pharmaceutical company globally. They're mm-hmm. originally out of France, now have operations here in America, but it's a global, worldwide pharmaceutical company. So I wanted to bring her in. Um, to kind of pivot away from working in a barn and go towards the other options that we have in the equine industry. So just give me like a brief synopsis of what got you into pharmaceutical sales. Um, so it's kind of a long story, but I was the Thanks tip- to Ed Squires. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, the typical horse girl, finished high school, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Expectation was to go to college. So I applied to seven different schools, went around, got it into all of them. And I then, like how Courtney says, expectation, I was supposed to go to college. Like, you would have ever not gone to college. <laughs> well, The type A perfectionist. <laughs> this is true. But um, I came in toward UK. I was living in North Carolina. Came in toward UK, and whenever I was there, I stopped by Kesmark, so Kentucky Equine Sports Medicine Rehabilitation Center. Found out they had an internship program. So I come home from that weekend and tell my parents, hey, I'm not going to college. I'm taking a year off. So my parents said, okay, well, figure it out. Good luck. Like, pay your own way. So I ended up doing that for a year, got exposure to um, some of the top equine vets that we have here in Lexington. Had never really thought about going into the vet industry, but got really interested in it there. Um, Went on to UK after that. And while I was in school, I held a job the entire time. I had to figure out how to pay for my horses. So I worked at a thoroughbred farm for a year. And then whenever I was getting ready to go into my junior year, I got an internship at Gluck. And so I was... The Gluck Equine Research Center. So um, (laughs) started working there in the immunology lab. Loved it, but wasn't quite sure that being in a lab for my entire life was for me. Because being in a lab sucks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll make you do the reverse interview for me. I mean, you know, <laughs> um, outgoing personality, wasn't quite sure that's what I wanted to do. And then I also needed that job was an internship, so it didn't really pay. So I needed to make some money um, for board and competitions. And so I started working at Wise Choice. I think I begged them for about six months <laughs> for a job. But I was like, oh, discount, like getting to work, talk about horses all day, like perfect. So I started doing that as a junior. And then somehow during the summer between junior and senior year, I got another job working for Dewberry. (laughs) So I was one of those things I was selling. I was kind of like trying to figure out what I was going to do when I was graduating. Like January, my dad said, hey, in May, you're cut off. Like figure your life out. So I started applying for jobs in January. Didn't hear back from a ton of them. Yeah. So, you know, I was kind of like, well, what do I want to do? And I heard rumors about sales and there was an equine career fair at UK and I saw sales listed as one of like the sessions you could go to. And I was like, well, I mean, I like vet stuff and I like working at the tax shop and I can sell $500 dewberries to poor college girls. (laughs) So like, what do I have to lose? As long as they match them with some booty shorts, it'll look great. Exactly. (laughs) Like if you could just tell them whatever they need to hear, like I was like, I can probably do sales. Like that sounds interesting. 
So I went um, totally prepared, like with my resume, didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Walk in, you know, being the brave horse girl that I am, because I feel like horses make you a pretty brave and outgoing. Put my resume down on the table and said, give me a job. <laughs> so I was like, what do I have to lose? And they kind of looked at me um, and we're like, oh, we don't know. Look at my resume. I come back at the end of the career fair and was like, okay, did you decide on a job <laughs> did, did for me? Did you find me a job? Like, did you find me a job? And, um, you know, they took my phone number, all of that. And I got, um, it was the equine sales manager for Patterson Veterinary Supply who was there. And I got his phone number. And so a week later, I like call him and say, hey, did you get me a job yet? <laughs> Didn't, did not know this man at all. And he actually gave me a job. That's awesome. So when I graduated, I had a job waiting on me. So um, that was kind of my start into sales, and then I've been in it ever since. So we're going on seven years now. And so you switched from Patterson to Vetequinol about a year ago. I did last April. Similar job type description? Um, yeah, very similar. So at Patterson, they're a distributor. So I was dealing with about 15,000 different products. Yep. I was doing just equine. Um, but I had Kentucky, Tennessee, but I was taking care of everything from needles and syringes up to x-ray machines and everything in between. So it was a pretty broad spectrum of uh, products, and I was selling the same thing every other distributor yeah. was selling. So I knew it was about time for me to kind of figure out, you know, that wasn't quite for me. I wanted to be able to go and be an expert on what I was selling, not just kind of have the, you know, 30,000-foot uh, view. And so um, I got a call from someone I had previously met saying, we're having this opening. We really would like to talk to you about it. And it was her Vetequinol, and they're a manufacturer. And so now I have about 15 products. So it's been a nice change. Now I can be an expert in my field, yeah. and I feel like I'm a resource and I'm valued. So. And I feel like for Vetequinol as well, you're not just talking to veterinarians. You're talking to competitors. You're talking to farm managers. Mm -hmm. It's not, here's Regimate. You already know you want it this is the best price we can offer. It's more so like what's going on with your barn, with your horse, how can our products help you? Absolutely, so in my old job it was just dealing with veterinarians, which I love, but being a horse owner myself and a competitor, I love being able to deal with the veterinarians and then go to the store owners, go to the horse owners, go to the farms, go to the trainers, and let's talk one-on-one -on -one with what's going on in your situation. Yeah. And the other thing, too, that I think that people don't realize is that they think that um, if you want to get into sales, you just have to be good at selling things. And tr th that's obviously so important to be able to talk to people, whatever. But can you explain a little bit about, like, your not only horse background but science background and how much that's helped? Oh, my science background has been tremendous. Um, being able to go in and have a conversation, whether it's someone just wants to go talk about their horse or if they actually want to dig into the research that we have behind our products and being able to talk about that with confidence has been yeah. huge. Um, so I definitely lean back on my classes that I took at UK to understand the science part and then also my internship. And so you said that you got your degree at UK. What was your specific major? Um, equine science. Equine science yep. on just the science route? So no. my degree is technically equine science and management, but okay. I did the science focus. Okay. So that's one thing going back I wish I would have taken maybe a few more marketing classes. I took a lot of ag econ, but being in the position I'm in now, I wish I would have done a little bit more marketing yeah. and business side of it. And so that kind of leads me to my next question of like, what do you think in your lifespan has been like your greatest asset to the job? And also like, what would you change if you could? So I think my greatest asset has been I'm able to really relate to people and I feel like I am a partner with most of my clinics, stores, the horse owners I interact with, the trainers, 
they come to me for advice, and I've been able to think outside of the box. I've really had the chance um, at Vetikinol to kind of expand on that and feel like I have a voice, especially with their marketing department, um, and kind of expand my own um, job responsibilities and then how much I want to take on. Definitely, I wish I would have done the marketing, just learned a little bit more and taken more business classes because I am a partner in a lot of the clinics. I get asked these questions about, well, what, how do you think we could increase our production? Yeah. Or what are you seeing the other clinics are doing? That yeah. sort of thing. So I wish I had a little bit more school behind me on that part, but I've kind of learned on the fly. So. I, I always say the same thing as well. Like I obviously have such a huge background in science. Like my mm -hmm. degree was in biochemistry. I then went and got a PhD in veterinary science. And I, all of the marketing that I do for my sales horses has been just me learning on the fly. And I always say more so than marketing, I wish that I had more of like a financial econ background because mm -hmm. I have like no business management knowledge whatsoever. And every time that Luke and I talk about starting our own farm, that's like our one holdup that really mm -hmm. scares us. So I think that you can get into a job and realize like these are my limitations. Mm -hmm. These are what I'm not doing that great. And then either learn on the fly mm -hmm. by surrounding yourself with good people, go back to school. Like I have very often thought about going and get like an MBA. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that Luke would kill me if I tried to <laughs> add more letters behind my name, but like it's either going to be a JD or an MBA. I'm just not sure which is next <laughs> or maybe a DBM. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be we'll something. Yeah. But um, the other thing though with your job is like what, I think that there's so many young kids, especially in college, who see pharmaceutical sales as just like big money, easy job, I can sell ice to an Eskimo, what would you tell those kids? It's extremely hard. <laughs> so it's, Mic drop. It's very <laughs> rewarding. I will say that like my schedule is extremely flexible. Um, I get to go, I feel like I hang out with my friends a lot of the time. Like my customers have become my friends. So that part of it's really fun, but it's extremely hard. Um, it takes having a support system, with, especially if you want to have horses. Yeah and do this um, and or kids and or kids <laughs> yes um because as a sales rep you are on the road a lot yeah even if you have a small territory I mean it's really long days it's giving up your weekend sometimes it's a lot of overnight travel um I've gone a couple weeks every month and so it really takes that support system whether it's someone to help you kind of keep an eye on your horses someone to ride your horses um you have to have a significant other or spouse that's okay with you being gone and yeah. you know having to pick up the slack other ways so that's one of the things that, you know, I want people to know going in, but it's such a rewarding job. It's also a job you have to be flexible with. You know, sometimes big events fall on a horse show weekend or, you know, you may have to move. Yeah. These jobs are really hard to find and you have really big territories. Yeah. Um, I went, whenever I was with Patterson, I just had Kentucky and Tennessee. Whenever I went to Vedicinal, I took on 11 states. So that was a huge, you know, thing to take on. I'm now back down to four. So <laughs> we're, we're getting somewhere with that. Um, and I do have the flexibility to design my own schedule, which is great. But there are a lot of weeks that, you know, my horse may not get ridden for four or five yeah. days. And that's just what it is. And I, I think so. we talk about this a lot. This is something, this is kind of why I love the group of women that I am interviewing this first time. I was saying to Alyssa earlier that I really want, that there's a hundred jobs mm -hmm. we can talk about. So I want this to keep going. This yeah. is just the first episode of it. But it's funny how we're all like in our early 30s and we're all kind of at that phase of our life where it's like, okay, I do like what I'm doing, mm -hmm. but like if I'm going to either take it a step farther, this is what I have to change in my life. Mm -hmm. And or if I'm going to completely pivot, 
and do something else, how is that going to affect my life? And one of the things that I've really thought about more recently is like the work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And all of us as horse people, that's such an important thing. And I tell that to all of my students. Like not only, I don't ever need to be a millionaire. Mm -hmm. I don't. I need to make enough money to fund this stupid addiction that we all do. But at the same time, I remember being a farm manager where I was making more money than I'm making now as a scientist, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have the time to ride. So like, what's the point in making all the money if you also can't use it? So I just think it's important for young kids to, to realize that work-life balance. Like I have no regrets in not going to vet school because I know that I would have made more money, Mm -hmm. but I, I'd see very few vets able to compete. And that's important to me. Absolutely. I mean, I had the exact same thing. There was a point during college that, I mean, I was an animal science major is what I started out as. Cause I was like, I'm going to vet school after my time at Kesmark. And then it was like, I woke up one day and said, I can't have my life revolve around this and have these early mornings and everything else. I need to have some flexibility. So, I mean, that's huge. I think it's also really important as people are getting out of school to find a company that's going to invest in them. Yeah. Whether it's continuing education about the products, continuing education um, to further yourself and your career. So Vetikinol has a great women's leadership program. Oh, that's cool. And so they fly all of us in a couple of times a year and we meet yeah, with her. Yeah, she our... gets to snuggle with puppies. I do get to snuggle with fun. puppies. It's really great. <laughs> John, why didn't you bring puppies? Yeah. <laughs> I expect that next time. I would like a golden retriever puppy while I do this. <laughs> so our last meeting that we had in March, they actually brought in um, a lady who had been the CFO for one of the huge distributors. Um, and then they brought in a couple people from all over the country for us and then other countries too. We had one lady that runs lab in Germany for us. Just different things that kind of teach us that there's not just one way to get there. Yeah. And to kind of step up and be brave for yourself. So I think finding a mentor is very good. We do a lot of um, personality training. So learning how to work with different personalities. <laughs> so, okay, let, let's just, hard. this is funny. Because, how does Courtney work with my personality? Well, She's been manipulating me this entire your time. Your personality is very similar to my personality. But let's think about, like, heard that, my yes. husband's personality is the it's total not, opposite. not the same as ours. So learning how to work with maybe a customer that has that personality that doesn't like the big and bubbly outgoing. <laughs> they need you to bring it down a few notches. Or the ones that can't be pushed into so a sale. So you're actually in marriage counseling. I, you know, let's, maybe. Let's <laughs> it actually has nothing to do with her job. She's, you know. They were like, we just see that Josh is struggling with you. Right. We're going to teach you how to talk Your to big him. personality. <laughs> um, so that's been one of the things that I've really loved, especially with my current job, is feeling that they're investing back in me yeah. and in my career. So I think that's so cool. I just think I want – I have so many students at Midway, Georgetown, UK, everywhere that I teach. And, it that you know, there's – the majority say they want to be vets. Mm-hmm. And I – kick all of them in the ass and I'm like have fun getting in and then the next largest population is well then I'm gonna be a pharmaceutical sales rep and I the one thing that I wish I could get across to them is a you're probably gonna have to leave Lexington absolutely because those jobs are so few and far between and the people that are in them are are their lifers mm-hmm. like they ain't giving them up because they're <laughs> sweet gigs but more so you, it's like we said earlier, it's not just a sales position. And the thing that people don't realize, maybe it's because I'm a brat and this is why I realize it, but the horse industry is so fickle. And we've all been there where we've been in a room with somebody who's like, I'm a trainer. And you're like, oh, that's cool. Like, what do you train? And they're like, I train 14 three hand warm bloods. And you're like, 
that doesn't make sense. But it, all it takes is saying that one wrong off mm-hmm. thing and you lose trust. And when you're in a sales position, that's all you have going for you is that trust, mm-hmm. that great relationship with your client. So these kids that want to get into sales, listen to Courtney's background. She went and worked in a research lab. She rode. She went and worked in rehab. She then sold equipment. So, mm-hmm. like, you have to be able to talk the talk and walk the walk to a million different disciplines to do so. And that doesn't come without gaining that experiential knowledge that takes years. So, like, go and work in a tax store. Go and work on a thoroughbred breeding farm. And then go and work for a rainer. Because, like, you're not mm-hmm. just selling those drugs to that one discipline you know and love. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I go – our office here in the U.S. is in Dallas. So I spent yeah. a lot of time in Pilot Point around Western horses who I hadn't had much exposure to. And so I've had to kind of learn really quickly how to work with those people. I also, one thing I'm really glad I did was always have a job in college. Yeah. Getting out and having some experience under my belt and learning just as much what I didn't want to do yep. as what 100%. I wanted to do. And the type of people I wanted to surround myself with and work with or for and the people they didn't. That was huge to me. Yeah. I mean, you learn which type of uh, mentors and leaders that you work better under and which ones it's not going to be a good fit. Yeah. And, so. and even that, that lifestyle thing coming back yeah. to it. I have my PhD in equine reproduction. I know more about mares' uteruses than anybody should. But I know personally that I hate foaling mares. I'll do it. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's the sleep thing. Right. I am a person that needs to be in bed by 10 o'clock and awake at 6 a.m. I need those eight hours, and without those eight hours, I am a terrible human being, and I probably will kill someone. So I know that even though I have the experience, that's not the lifestyle for me. Mm-hmm. And I did it, and I did it well, and I would do it if I needed to, but like in the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. that's not the lifestyle I want. Yeah, and I think that people, especially young girls that are thinking about going to sales, they need to realize that some things with their horses, it's not just go and sell all day and then go ride your horse all day. Like I've had to really even take a discipline change to work around how much I travel. And so you kind of have to be willing to give on both sides. It doesn't mean that you can't have it all, but yeah. what having it all may change a little bit from yeah. what you think it would look like. Like even to the point where like you were going to have to move your horse down south just yeah. so you could sell down south all mm-hmm. winter. Yeah. Which seems like a great idea to people <laughs> as they're hearing this, but not so great from your husband's point of view. Exactly. Of my wife and her, well, he actually was pretty happy the horse was leaving too. But it could have just been my wife is leaving and leaving me with all the horses. Yes. And, you know, I was very fortunate to get to do that twice this winter. Um, but at the same time, it was, I took my horse with me, but I was still doing self-care while, while I was there. So, like, I was driving three or four hours to get to Charlotte and then having to be back that night to get to Aiken to take care of my horse. So there was quite a bit of, there's got to be flexible. Yeah. And you have to be willing. I mean, gosh, there are so many Thursday nights. We joke that I get home at, like, 2 and 3 a.m. almost every Thursday night. Because I go and I travel, and then that way I'm not driving all day Friday. So you just have to be flexible and willing to do it. See, that goes back to me needing to be in bed by 10. (laughs) I have zero desire. Driving and needing to be in bed by 10 p.m. I'm out. My windshield is is my office (laughs) all the time. (laughs) That literally sounds terrible to me. I'll take my, like, window overlooking the 1,000-acre farm around me. (laughs) Anyhow, thank you so much for coming. Uh, Hopefully people learned a little bit about the pharmaceutical sales world. I'm sure we'll have you back to talk about taking rescue ponies into dressage rings. I mean, you um, know, yeah. that's what I like to do. We're going to have <laughs> recurrent guests. It's fine. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> okay, so our final 
member of our career fair today is Leah Alessandroni, who is the blood... Why are you looking at your phone? I'm sorry, Carol just texted me. (laughs) (laughs) So to talk about Leah Alessandroni as the bloodstock manager, her job is constantly going. (laughs) As in, she's being text messaged about bloodstock manners while we're interviewing her. Anyhow, so Leah is a very near and dear friend of mine. She does all of the bloodstock work for Bond Chance Farms, which is a newer farm here in Lexington, Kentucky. You guys have been in operation for five-ish years? Four years this September. Four years this September. And operating on a smaller broodmare band, but quite the valuable broodmare band. So just tell us a little bit about what your job actually is. Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, (laughs) So our... Our farm is a little bit unique in that we are a fairly boutique thoroughbred breeding and racing operation. We have about 20, 25 mares. Um, This year we had 16 foals and about anywhere from five to 10 racehorses. It just kind of depends on the year. And um, so because we're so small, everyone is kind of has unique jobs. It's kind of an all hands on deck situation most days, to be honest. Um, so the bloodstock side of my job entails a lot of research, a lot of handling of sale entries, paperwork, those types of things, um, keeping track of racehorses, anytime we go to the sales, looking at horses, shortlisting, kind of handling all of that things. Um, from a sale point of view, we kind of buy and sell as a group, so that um, takes a little bit of the pressure off, and it's, it's nice to have multiple opinions when you've got um, so much money on the line, so that's good. And then I do have to do a little bit of um, office management type. My, t- my actual title is the Bloodstock and Office Manager, just because we are such a small farm that, um, like I said, everyone kind of has to do a little bit of everything. We all wear a bunch of different hats on any given day. And so what, we've kind of gone back, like go through your CV a little bit. Like what got you to Lexington? What got you into thoroughbreds? And how did you get this specific job? So I moved to Lexington in 2008 to attend. She's getting confirmation from Courtney. Uh, yeah, I literally just had to look at Courtney to double check that. Mom! Uh, uh, so I, yeah, I moved here in 2008 to attend the University of Kentucky specifically for their equine program. Um, shout out. Um, shout out. I'm originally from Southwest Florida, so when I was looking to go to, to school, I uh, to college, I definitely wanted to do some sort of equine focus. And um, I wanted to be in the thoroughbred industry, and being in the middle of the thoroughbred industry in Lexington was exactly number one reason why I went to UK. And then from there, I did three internships in college. I was at the Maker's Mark Secretariat Center. I was at the Kentucky Horse Council. And I did um, what ended up, was supposed to, I think, just be a small internship at Windstar Farm and ended up turning into really the, the one that opened the biggest door for me. Um, so after my internship at Windstar ended, I was offered a job there. And uh, that was a great opportunity. It did delay my graduation by a year because I was working full time. So not a bad problem to have. Wait, were you a five-year college kid? Yeah. How did I not know this? Yeah, I could only take night you classes. You were a super senior. I was a super senior, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it sounds really bad. I feel like I need to, like, I need to stress that, like, I was I'm employed fully. <laughs> like, I wasn't just putting it off. Um, Leah's lying. She actually just partied oh her God. way through college. Not true. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so I spent um, just a little over three years at Winstar. I was um, the equine operations assistant there, and the main part of that job was booking mares, a lot of the stab- stallion admin, almost all of the contract work. Um, it was a fairly significant job for someone right out of school. It was uh, 
it was kind of a sink or swim, learn on your feet type thing, which was actually really great in hindsight. Um, so from there, I went to Regis Farms, and that was a similar type of farm to Bon Chance. It was a little bit more of racing side of things. And unfortunately, that farm was only around for a few years, and it sold to Bon Chance. So that's kind of a long, windy road of how I ended up where I am now. Leah and was in the negotiated deal. Yeah, <laughs> and in and in the, uh, the position that I'm at, I actually started out in a minor kind of bloodstock administrative position. And then as staffing changes and things happened, I was kind of climbed the ladder a little bit. So, And so, you know, we kind of, it's been funny talking to Alyssa, Courtney, and you today, because all three of you have jobs that we hear the average college kid say, like, I want to be a bloodstock agent. And mm. you're like, oh, cool. Uh, can you tell me who Malibu Moon is by? Yeah. And they're like, Fred. And you're like, okay, so we're going to have to work on this a little bit. But like, you know, we've been kind of touching on that idea. So what aspects of your experience, like what on your resume prepared you for this? What would you change? Like, what would you try to do differently? Oh, geez, it's, a, it's such a hard question. And I honestly get asked this all the time. I'm fortunate enough to talk um, to a lot of different student groups. I've spoken to the horse racing club at UK a few times. I think almost every semester or every year at least I've been in to talk to the equine careers class there, which is always really great, but it is kind of an eye-opening experience because so many people do have that question, and it, it, I always feel bad because I can't ever give a very straight, linear answer to it. But um, I would say I, when I graduated, I honestly didn't really know exactly what I wanted to be doing, but in the thoroughbred industry, especially because I didn't come from the thoroughbred industry in any capacity. My family didn't really have horses. Um, we lived in the city. Like, we didn't, you know, have that background. So I just felt like I needed to take every opportunity possible and then kind of go from there. Um, but as I started learning more about the industry and getting more experience, I kind of realized, okay, the bloodstock really is something that I would be interested in doing. And then it was really just kind of asking to be involved in that process yeah. more um, and then showing that I could do that process once I was there at Windstar, even though this wasn't part of my job, I often asked to what they call, they call pulling horses. So I'd go to sales with the people who were in charge of that and basically go ahead to them to the barns with the list of horses they needed to see and ask them to be pulled out. So by the time they got there, they were already waiting for them. And, um, and then eventually, you know, I like with a lot of these, these equine careers it's just about finding someone who's willing to show you the ropes and yeah. take you under their wing and you might have to ask a few people until you find that person but that's exactly you know what I did and um and then from there it kind of just evolved into itself when I took the job at Regis um I had left one star I had a different game plan I was planning on kind of just resetting figuring out how I could get into that career path a little ways because I knew at Winstar I didn't have um it wasn't the direction that ladder at Winstar was going for me. So I kind of rerouted and then I was given an opportunity to come to Regis. And when I interviewed for that job, I made it very clear that I was only interested if I could be a little bit more involved in the bloodstock. And to the credit of Kieran Lawler, who was the manager there at the time, um, he kind of said, cool, if you want to do this kind of not glamorous job on the side yeah. to keep the books going, you know, I'll let you see into the the bloodstock door a little bit and uh and it just kind of went from there it's funny that you say that because that um I had a similar you know job negotiation when I first moved to Lexington it was the recession it mm -hmm. was 2008 nobody was hiring uh and when I finally <laughs> pretty rudely talking about Courtney throwing her resume down and saying give me a job I basically did the antithesis of that at Chesapeake Farm where 
I was like, are you guys hiring? And they were like, no. And I was like, cool, bye. And I went to like leave. And who I now realize was the owner. I thought he like worked in the office. Was like, no, 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 come back. Like, who are you? What do you do? What do you want? And I was like, I just want, I just want to muck stalls. Like, I just right. need a job. And he was like, okay, well, like, let me see your resume. And I was like, do you have a job or not? Because if, like, I'm not wasting my time. I was over it. I had, I had gone to 14 different farms. They'd all said no. Mm-hmm. And finally, he was like, well, where'd you go to college? <laughs> and in a true brat fashion, I was like, you would have never heard of it. And he was like, try me. And I was like, no, seriously, dude. I'm so sick of people saying you went to Sarah Lawrence when I went to St. Lawrence. Like, you would have never heard of it. It's a small school in upstate New York. And he was like, where did you go? And I said, St. Lawrence University. And he was like, my dad went there. And I was like, well, hell. <laughs> How's, hey, bud, who are you? But yeah, pivot. <laughs> but so then he literally was like, you know, I don't have any farm positions, but our website just crashed and your resume says that you built a website. Will you do that? And I was like, uh, I have zero desire to work in an office ever, Mm -hmm. ever. And it was actually the biggest blessing in disguise because it was the same thing you're talking about. He was like, well, here's an idea. Why don't you work on the farm in the morning, which is when we're busiest, do vet work because you want to go to vet school, learn the ropes of a thoroughbred farm. But then in the afternoons after lunch, you come in the office and you redesign our website and it was kind of the same thing you're talking about like kind of a little bit with like the racing updates emailing Mm -hmm. clients taking pictures that kind of thing and in retrospect I'm so happy that I did that because that was such a broader Mm -hmm. like you know vantage point of the industry than me just mucking stalls which is what I was doing in the morning but I had that negotiation tactic to be like that's not what I want to do but let's meet somewhere in the middle and honestly like it it is Probably the number one piece of advice that I give these college students when I'm talking to them is don't ever turn down an opportunity that just because you can't see the end, the end goal of that opportunity. When I took the internship at Windstar, I was doing tours. That's what the majority of the internship was. You're such a bubbly, sparkling person. Yeah, I know, right? Um, (laughs) It was giving tours of the stallion bar. And this is before horse country when all the, the, you know, thoroughbred farms were. Back in the good old days. (laughs) Back in the day. Uh, Back before we had them fandangled tour managers. (laughs) Well, they actually, they did have, like, outside tours that came in. But Windstar gave their own tour every day as well. Um, And then because I was down there giving tours in the stallion bar, and I just kind of, like, hung around and chased the stallion manager, Larry McGinnis, bless his heart who was always really good to me and just answered all my questions and let me sit in the lab during the shed runs and let me check the dismount samples under the microscope and um, really just kind of involved me as much as I wanted. And then from there, um, you know, when the breeding season was over, they were looking for some help in the office and um, needed someone to basically take pictures of every single foal on the farm yep. every single mare on the farm for same thing clients or they you know which for their is own personal records job. and yeah no one else wanted to do that and I just terrible. was like I'll do it no worries and then I just flew through them all and they were like okay cool can you also do this and then it kind of built yep. and built and then there was not really an end date for the internship so it was kind of a weird situation but they came to me in the fall of that year I think it started in April they came to me in like November and they had added a bunch of stallions onto the stallion roster and they needed help to, to fill that position. It was a position that had been created. I didn't, you know, it was a new position. Um, I tell so my yeah. students that all the time too. And it can go, uh, it can honestly go as small as 
it's funny. I just interviewed Alyssa. How many times has one of the thoroughbred farms asked me if I'll come body clip one of their horses? Right. And I used to say yes. I hate body clipping with a fiery passion. So now I say no, and I'll send it on to usually somebody like Alyssa. But gosh, guys, when you're in college, just even going to pull a mane or body clip a right. horse, go be professional, say hi, give the manager's hand a firm shake. Mm-hmm. That will leave such a lasting impression. And if you do a good job, they're going to be like, wow, that person really pays attention to detail. Like right. that person was not scared of our mare as she tried to kill her. So six months from then when you are you know, homeless and you need a job, it'd be so easy to go back to that farm and say, hey, are you guys hiring? Mm-hmm. But even more so, when I'm teaching, I get so frustrated with some of the policies of the equine programs in all of the universities because I think it is so imperative that every single kid goes and works the sales. And if you're not comfortable actually showing a yearling, cool, do the November sales and show mares. If you're not comfortable handling a horse, cool, go call cards. Mm-hmm. Because working the sales is when you meet so yeah. many people And if you are even remotely good at your job and you show up on time and you don't complain, that's where you make these connections. That's the thing that like kills me is I talk to so many students who, um, and I can only speak to really the thoroughbred industry side of it because that's kind of the path I forged myself from the very beginning. But it, when you show up and you're willing to work 110% and you're engaged and you you, you have someone tell you to do something. You don't talk back to them and tell them that yeah. that's not how you've done it at whatever farm or, where, you know, the pony that you grew up training. It's not how you trained it. Like, if you just do what you're told and work hard and have common sense and take initiative, then they really do remember those people. And now that I'm on the flip side of that where we're hiring and I'm involved in that process, it's very obvious from yeah. the very minute you sit down with somebody if they're going to be someone who's going to, A, work in your group setting with the rest of your staff and with your team, or B, just for the general program of the farm that you have. And there are so many young people who come into my office who, especially women, and this is very frustrating for me, (laughs) who sit down and within 10 minutes of talking to them, I can just tell you that they're not going to cut it. Most of those people don't don't last in the thoroughbred industry. And that's really, really sad for me and frustrating for me because I really like eat, sleep, breathe every moment of this industry, every single, you know, I'm not, I'm not a farm manager. I don't live on the farm. That's not my, my title, but I'm still on salary. So I'm available all the time. I literally, it doesn't matter if it's a weekend or if it's five in the morning or if it's 10 o'clock at night, you know, we're kind of plugged into the industry. So I, I feel like I'm a big advocate for the thoroughbred industry and I want to get people involved because so many people took me under their wing and gave me an opportunity. I want to be able to pay it forward and do that. Yeah. But you have to be worthy of that effort. If someone's going to stick your neck out, you really have to show yeah. them that you appreciate and acknowledge that it's a huge opportunity to have that, that given to you. So, and like you, exactly like you were saying, getting out into the sales or just meeting people, I like there is no better way. It's a small industry, the thoroughbred industry. All equine industries in their own right are very small yes. in my experience. And you can build bridges and burn exactly. bridges real quick. Exactly right. Um, and I just I just think that that's a really good lesson for people to learn. And, um, and it's funny because we even brought that up when talking about being a professional groom and eventing. Like it's, it, this is like Leah said, it's so multidimensional. It's not just the thoroughbred industry. It's not just the eventing industry, mm-hmm. but... You know, she said that she was training with Allie Knowles 
And then Jenny Brannigan posts a job position on Facebook, and she had nothing on her resume saying she could be a professional groom, but Allie and Jenny are friends. Right. And literally, it just took her trainer sticking out her neck and saying, hey, mm-hmm. this girl's never done this, but she's a good person. She shows up on time. She has a great attitude. Give her a chance. Right. And you get that trial. Right. It's the same way with the sales or small internships. That's just your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. And like it, like I said, it can be as small as pulling mains. Mm-hmm. It really can. Like there are so many little things you can do, but do it well. Like your face right. is your calling card. I wrote about that in a blog. I Nothing disgusts me more than going to the sales and seeing uh, foreigners raking the aisle way and small white college-age girls yes. sitting on the bench. Standing around on their yeah. phones, talking to like, their friend, fixing exactly. their hair. And, and you might not realize that while you're taking a selfie, I'm looking at you. Mm-hmm. But it's in the back of my mind at that moment of, okay, well, that girl thinks she's above those guys. She's not breaking her back. And they're busy. It's one thing if it's, you know, 3.30 in the afternoon and everyone's chilling. I don't mind that. But if other people are doing something and you're standing around, mm-hmm. that I immediately that face goes with mm-hmm. that name, and it's in it's in my little black book. Yeah, no, <laughs> my it, burn book. It's <laughs> so true, and there's so there's a, and this is not necessarily I don't think the fault of the student. Um, you could maybe you can call it a general a generational issue, but I don't even know if it's yeah, that. Yeah, we're not but that much older. People, yeah, <laughs> but there is the, there is a stigma. The world and the society we live in tells you that when you're a college graduate, you're automatically better than everyone yeah, else. No. But so many people are college graduates now, and especially in the thoroughbred industry, you might graduate with a, you know, with a degree in equine management, but you're not ever going to walk onto a thoroughbred farm nope. maybe in other, in other d- disciplines you can but I promise you are not going to walk onto a thoroughbred farm and get a management position and, and what I always tell my students and it kind of saddens me how few take um, listen to me or take me up on it but you know we've now interviewed three people today all three of you have done an equine programs degree of some form one at Otterbein two at the University of Kentucky I haven't heard a single person say my degree is what got me you know, that foot in the industry. But Mm -hmm. every single one of you has said, while I was at that college doing that degree, I did this, 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 and this, almost on the side. Right. Like, we have such a good relationship between the equine programs at University of Kentucky and the industry. We have huge internship programs, career fairs, job fairs, whatever. That's what's important. Mm -hmm. Nobody's looking to see if you got an A in your anatomy class. They're looking to see what you did over summer right. break. Yeah, I've never had anyone ask me for a transcript. Dude, I've never I had even, anyone ask me what classes I've even I taken in college. I got into a PhD, and my advisor didn't look at my transcript. Yeah. <laughs> so. that, but that's a, it's a good point you bring that up about the internships, because I know that I can't speak for others, but at University of Kentucky, the equine program requires the students to do one internship. Yeah. I did three. Yeah, do but more. You should do more. And and I should I should have mentioned before – one of those three was a paid internship. Yep. They so never are. they're mostly never paid, but that doesn't mean that they're not extremely valuable, that they're worth your time. And put um, yourself and out of your comfort zone when yeah. you do them, but do them well. And Well, that's the point I was coming to. A lot of students do internships at the place they're already riding or boarding their yep. horse or at their family's farm or with a friend who's a vet. Like, exactly like you said, 
find something that is not going to be a waste. So don't do something you already know how to do. Yep. Go meet people you don't know. Go learn a skill you don't know. Yeah. A lot of times you're not going to learn that in the classroom, but the skills you learn in the classroom will translate and give you a step forward once yep. you get out. But you cannot just stand on the top of your degree when you graduate without any work experience or yeah. internship experience. Um, I actually broke yearlings for a guy in uh, in college as well. I taught lessons. I worked off board as for an entire summer on my horse because I couldn't afford to pay board. So I worked off board in addition to going to my internship. Um, and th- I think that goes in two different routes. I already kind of touched with Courtney Callanan about uh, how her background was so broad and that broad background is so imperative for a pharmaceutical sales position. I also personally feel like my background has been so broad. Like I, John and I were just talking about like, we really want to start interviewing people out of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Like let's go find an Arabian breeder. Let's go find a Rainer. And the minute that we started talking about it, I was like, oh, my ex-boyfriend from Wyoming now shows at the world championship level for quarter horse halter. I'll interview him. Oh, we're really good friends with so-and-so who's like a world champion Rainer. I'll interview him. But that's because my background was not just thoroughbreds. My background was quarter horses, Western pleasure, rodeo. And then it, you know, kind of bottlenecked a little bit. But going back to you saying getting the internship, I tell every single one of my students I understand that the world is not entirely thoroughbreds. I fully appreciate that. But the thoroughbred industry here in Lexington, Kentucky is massive and we're hiring. Right. The best thing you can do for your resume is go work at least a season on a thoroughbred farm. I don't care if you want to go into eventing. I don't care if you want to go into pharmaceutical sales. I don't care if you want to be a professional groom. You are going to learn such important skills from one breeding season on a thoroughbred farm. And it's funny how you can like tie all three of the jobs we've talked about today. Be a professional groom. I tell you what, nothing is going to get you trained better for that than going and working one season at the sales Mm -hmm. and getting those yearlings ready to go to the ring. Go and be a pharmaceutical sales rep. I tell you what, A, you're going to learn a ton of lingo that you would have never used before. What is a shifty? Well, there you go. <laughs> what You know what I mean? Like we do so many things a little bit quirkier and more differently. And suddenly after a season, you're going to be able to talk to this massive entity. But then going to the bloodstock side of things, if you think you want to go into bloodstock, cool. Go work a sales season or an entire year on a thoroughbred farm and you'll see the owners and even bloodstock agents coming in monthly and looking at every single horse. And that's where you learn because mm-hmm. they'll they'll talk about the horses out outwardly. Oh yeah. They'll say that horse's knees are offset. And you or can say, ask, what do you mean? Yeah, or ask them. Or if you notice someone's looking at something yeah. extra hard, ask them what they're doing. And on, like that's exactly what I did once I found someone that was willing, you know, some people just wanted me to pull cards and stand in the corner and not talk. But that is not Leah's personality. Not what I'm cut out for. So I kept trying until I found someone who would pretty much let me stand over their shoulder and continuously ask questions. Um, But even today, like I and I feel incredibly fortunate to have kind of just fallen into this position at Bon Chance because it is a group that acknowledges essentially how important continuing education is no one is expected to know everything on our farm and we work together as a team and if somebody is in a weak spot we hopefully have someone who can fill in 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 a stronger spot but that's something that like people ask me all the time like I'm obviously not that old I'm 29 years old but it's like you're almost 30 (laughs) stop it 
Um, it's like you're expected to be a bloodstock guru, like guru. Do I know a lot? Yeah. Do I have a lot to learn? I have so much yeah. more to learn. And, and I learn every day. Like I stand over the farrier, the farm manager, and I'm still that person that is like annoyingly asking a million questions. If we're at a sale and I see something or a, a bloodline or a name of a stallion, I don't recognize in a pedigree. I'll ask, you know, our, our general manager or farm manager or the consigner or somebody the question because you just a lot of times you don't know until you ask and the good thing about the horse industry and this is something that I think is really ironic because there are a lot of people who do pretend and present themselves as if they do know everything but it's and I love it I love it so much our boss says this to us all the time he says if you find somebody who tells you they know everything walk away yep. because they're automatically lying and he's so right about that it's an industry that technology is advancing science is advancing the horses themselves are advancing the thoroughbred industries has horses turning over every single year new stallions new mares new bloodlines if you were in a bloodstock you know, position 25 years ago in the thoroughbred industry and then got out and came back today, it would be completely different. Yeah, we use iPads now. Completely. <laughs> it would be completely different. So it's just like you, you, every day you can learn something. And if that's, you're not that's learning where something. I checked out of the industry, by the way, when they brought in the catalogs on iPads, I just yeah. got too confused. I it took to. me, it took me a while to adjust. <laughs> it did. But uh, I got to say, they're pretty handy. No, nope. pretty handy to have that option. But even going back to that, like that's, that's such a good it's such a good thing you point that out because like one of the things that um, one of the things that I always tell the students in college is there's a program that we use in the thoroughbred industry ca- called horse farm management. Yeah. And while it technically is like an administrative like thing, our entire farm runs off horse yep. farm management. So as does farms. Windstar, as does most farms and I don't understand why students don't have exposure to that in college. There absolutely should be a class on it in college. That's a good idea. But, um, I'll teach it. But like every time I have someone who, who wants to come and job shadow me, I kind of do a bait and switch on them. Cause I'm like, yeah, cool. You're going to come and we'll walk through some horses and I'll teach you about bloodstock. And then they come and they sit in my office and I'm like, sit in this chair. And now let me spend 20 minutes showing you how to use this computer program. And they look like they want to strangle me. But it's so important. But it re- to them. that's such a good point, though, because so horse farm management is more important in this little town than Excel is. Yeah. It's more important than Microsoft yeah. Word is. Exactly. Like, and it's a not. It's not like a user friendly program, no. really. Like it's not hard, no, it but you have to sucks. learn the lingo of it. So when I started working at Windstar, I had never heard of it, and I literally had to sit down with my boss, and like every day she would give me like little tasks, like okay, do this report, now do this, now do this, and it took me. I mean, now I I feel like I'm pretty good with it now. But it did take me a couple of months of like actual quote unquote lessons. I think we should there. propose this class. I'm pretty sure I have mentioned it to multiple people before. Oh, yeah. Edit that out, John. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, not. We have we have Cammy later. I'll ask her why we aren't teaching it right now. No, but it's it's so funny because you know we talked about three such different careers and and the backgrounds are so similar. It really is like different personalities or how you use your brain differently into what you choose. But I think the most important takeaway of all three interviews is A, you are your own business card. Right. This industry is tiny. Do not burn those bridges. And if and if you're gonna burn those bridges, then you better throw some gasoline on that match and it better be a damn good bridge to burn. Trust me, I have been there. I have burned some epically good bridges that needed to go down in flames. But at the same time, realize that every single thing you do will hopefully better you towards that career that you want. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't become a groom at Chesapeake Farm because I wanted to be a groom for the rest of my life. I wanted to go to vet school. 
And that was a great way to learn reproduction and other things. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. the amount of surgeries I got to experience by working on a thoroughbred farm was unreal. Right. Um, but even more so, like, getting those experiences, it, it, it should never be ignored. Like, all of these kids that are graduating high school or college, it's a decent working wage right now. Suck it up. Like, it's not even so low that you have to live on ramen. I, don't even, I won't even make that joke. You're going to be drinking Bud Light instead of a microbrewery, okay? Like, that's right. the biggest complaint here. But make the sacrifice, get a roommate, and go get your hands dirty. Because it does not matter which direction you want to go with your career. Having that year on a farm, whether it's a breeding farm, a training farm, an event barn, it literally doesn't matter but expose yourself to the actual behind the scenes of a farm. Yeah, it's it's just crazy to me that people think they're just going to like step out into the world and have everything fall at their feet. Damn millennials. Because I guess oh, wait, that's I think what I am a millennial. <laughs> I know, I think we all are. Am I a Gen Xer or a millen- Wait, what's Gen X? Is that our parents or is You're that looking at the wrong girl? I'm older than you guys. Oh. Okay. I feel like Courtney would know this. She would. <laughs> yeah. There's like it's just gonna like barely pick up her voice as she's like screaming from outside of the microphone. Courtney Cowan says we're all millennials to clarify. <laughs> but Thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just a it's a weird concept because that's not how I was raised. And uh, we I, had to walk to school four miles uphill, uphill both yeah. ways, twenty in degrees Birkenstocks even I lived in, in the snow. And it never got that cold. But that honestly, like throwback to my parents. Shout out parents. For actually being great parents, because like I I said in the beginning, my family wasn't a family that had really grown up with horses. My mom had a little bit. But um, when I started taking riding lessons when I was nine, I, of course, constantly asked for the horse. And this carried on and on and on until I was a freshman in high school when this horse kind of just fell into our laps. And my dad made like the one and only knee jerk purchase decision of his entire life. And it just happened to be a horse which is hilarious and, like, my favorite story, family story to tell. Sounds like my moped. But um, but they pretty much were like, here's the horse. Hope you have a plan on how you're going to help pay for it. And I worked. Like, I'm 13. Yeah. I worked at our barn. I cleaned stalls in exchange for extra lessons. I helped teach younger kids. I worked every summer camp yeah. as long as I can remember. And I was just looking the other day. The farm I grew up riding at was celebrating their, like, 20th anniversary of summer camps. And I'm, I 100% guarantee you that I attended or worked at the first one. So that made me feel really old. But it was – it never seemed, wor- like, work to me because that's what I wanted to do. And that was a great indication when I was looking at, in, as a high school student, what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I was getting up every Saturday in the summers at 7 to go to the barn and take care of all the horses myself to get measly amounts of money paid to me to do that. And I wasn't complaining that was my first indication that I may actually have a shot to yeah. do this as a career. And that's not a knock against people who were fortunate enough to have full care or their parents were wealthy enough to offer that to them. But it does give you, some people just find out that that's not for them. Like you were saying, you know about a lifestyle choice and you can tell, like, I know that I would never be able to be a vet. I didn't try to go to vet school. So as it, getting that stage out of the way in high school and at young ages, I think is yeah. really important to setting this, this, the scene for your college it just helps you to make better decisions and to find a path faster but any of these equine industry jobs require really hard work and if that's not what you want to do that's fine I would recommend getting a job that pays well and supports your equine habit yeah but with there you, and there's no shame in there's that no thing. shame in that at all but if you do want to be in this industry you just have to kind of 
early mornings, to the late nights, and go. lifting early 50 morning, pounds, late nights, learn how to drive a stick shift. Heavy I'm still things. trying to teach Leah how to drive a stick <laughs> you shift. It hasn't know. gone that well. You do not need to know how to drive a stick shift to have a job in this industry. <laughs> Don't let Carly Ford I tell you that. I strongly encourage <laughs> It's learning. never bad to be able to know how to drive a tractor, but I promise you that if you go onto a farm and say, I don't know how to drive this, but I will learn if you teach me, like, hopefully you find someone that will teach you. I know we've taught a large many people how to drive a tractor at Bonchan's Farm. Can you drive a tractor? I can drive a tractor. Just not a stick shift. Not your stick shift. <laughs> I think this is the perfect place to end this conversation. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, like I said earlier, hopefully we'll be bringing you guys more career career fairs uh in the near future these are just three of the many 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 options and we'll hopefully keep going on from here